We are finishing our series on the facing Goliath. How many of you like the facing Goliath? You know, it's it's been a good refresher in looking at some of those things that uh, can come against us, things that Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit to overcome, but we have to make that choice to overcome them. It's not a passive faith that we have. It's an active faith. You know, we don't sit back while God does everything. Often God tells us to take that step of faith, and he does it as we take that step. Amen? Amen. Well, Heavenly Father, as we open up now to the message this morning, I pray that you would open up our hearts, Lord, to receive. Even if it's just that one thing we got to think about this week, Lord, let us receive it. And God, I pray right now just for everyone sitting here, Lord, for just a special blessing of the Holy Spirit to rest upon them. God, that our sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. We have hope. We have peace. We can choose joy. And so, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, pour out your presence upon us and let us rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, uh, I was driving on Hagman, and uh, I, I, I do not believe in speeding up for a red light. All right? How many of you? You, you don't believe that either. If it's a red light, I mean, even if you're a quarter mile off, just coast to it. Why waste gas just to hit the brakes, right? All right, I know you're all from California, but just, uh, just humor me and agree with me right now, you know, okay? Just humor me and agree with me right now. All right, so, so why am I going to speed up for a red light? Well, so I began to slow down, and some dude behind me gets upset. So he pulls around me, gets and speeds up, he gets in front of me, and then slams on his brakes as we get to the stop sign. And I am, yeah, red light. And I am torqued. I'm like, really? Really? It was so important for you to get ahead of me. You're going to risk my life, everybody else's life, and you're going to do that, pull that little maneuver? So even though I was supposed to go straight, I decided I'm going to turn right, and I'm going to do it to him. Doesn't the Bible say do unto others as you would have them do unto yourself? I'm going to do it right to him. So I, and this is back in the days where I had my big red minivan. Let me tell you, do not tick off a dad in his minivan because he already has issues, all right? And so <clears throat> I get, I pull around, and sure enough, I, I, I first I come up right on his tail, and then, and I go right, and, and as I'm passing him, I'm just like giving him that look, you know, that look of how dare you disrespect me, you know? I'm giving him that look, and all of a sudden, what does he do? No. He slows down, and he comes to a complete stop. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I'm the man, you know. I taught him. And as I realized, the reason why he came to a complete stop is that there was another stop sign. Well, I'm going 60 miles an hour. I blow right through the stop sign. And I'm sure the guy's looking at him like, what kind of idiot is that guy in the red minivan? What made me think of something, though? You know, how many times in life do we have a temper flare and we are just going to run with it, right? We are just going to let the beast out. And in doing so, we actually do something we wouldn't normally do. I don't run stop signs and stop lights all the time. I never do all of every now and then. But anyway, you know, you know what I'm saying. Normally I don't. But this time, as I'm sailing past 60 miles an hour, the thought occurred to me, man, what if there was another car that was going to pull out? 
What if there was a kid crossing the road? What if, what if there was, uh, you know, a dog crossing the road? Well, I don't know. Anyway, we won't talk about that. But you know what I'm saying? You know, uh, what, if there, what if I had caused some sort of harm? All because I had to give room for my anger. All because I had to feel real good about the fact that I was going to show that guy what a goon he was and that he was not to mess with me, right? But at the end of the day, what do we call it? We just call that a temper flare-up, right? Temper flies, and we just got to get it out. You know, thankfully, over the years, those in my life have become more and more of a minimum experience. I far more tend to experience the other side of anger, which is less like a raging fire and more like a smoldering fire. And that is the title of my message this morning, Facing Goliaths, the Goliath of Anger, the Giant of Anger. And the title is Smoldering Fires. I've been reading a book by Louis Giglio. Giglio, and he's the the founder of the Passion Movement. They had these big conferences and stadiums, and, and their headquarters was in Atlanta, Georgia. And they had got an old house that they fixed up in, in the downtown area, and they made it their offices. And they had uh, 18 full-time and a couple of part-time people who worked at this big, this big house that, that doubled as a, or became an office complex. One day he goes in there, and he says, you know what? I smell something burning. But everybody's like, oh, it's the coffee. Oh, it's the toaster. You ever have people, you know, oh, it's, 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 it's the oven, whatever. And so... He just didn't really pay much attention to it because, after all, it could be the coffee or it could be the, the toaster, whatever, you know. But he said, I smelled it for about two weeks. said, I just, you know, it was just like this burning smell, but everybody always said it's the coffee or the toaster. Well, finally, one day, he went to go open his office door, and when he opened the door, you know, something happens with a real fire where the shift of the draft and the oxygen and all that... And the backdraft, right? So he opened the door, and all of a sudden, his wall just flames up in these flames. And it took him a second. He's freaking out. He's looking at this. Oh, my God, the, the house is on fire. The house is on fire. The house is on fire. You know, he's really freaking out. <coughs> and he runs out of the house. But then he thought to himself, there's 20 people inside the house. So now he's got to run back into the house. And he's telling everybody, hey, you got to get out. You got to get out. There's a fire uh, in the house. And, and at first, they were kind of like, no, no, no. But then they began to see the smoke, and they looked in his office, saw the flames and the walls, and they all get out. They call the fire department. The fire department comes out and puts out the fire. Thank God for our fire departments. Puts out the fire. And so he goes, he says, look, what started this fire? And he said, well, it was a, a, a wire uh, on one of the two by fours, the one of the one of the wire junctions uh, had something went wrong and it was sparking it and it and it started the fire. And he said, you know, he said, I don't think it was that because I smelled burning two weeks ago. And he says, no, no, Pastor Louie, what happens is this: you, it has a spark and an arc, and it's against wood, and it slowly it starts to smolder the wood. So that's what you smelled. He said, it may have been going on for weeks or months. I mean, you don't know how long it would take, but slowly but surely, that was burning the wood. 
And then when you opened the door, it had been smoldering for so much and so long, grown so big along the 2 by 4 that the draft just pulled the oxygen. And when it did, it just incinerated the sheetrock and began to burn everything. He said, really? So it's been, uh, we've been working here and going about everything, and it's been smoldering in the background for all these weeks? And he said, yeah. And I thought to myself, and I, uh, you know, in, in his little thing he wrote, he said, how many of us, our anger is a lot like that. It's a smoldering fire. It's just kind of seeding underneath the surface. Nobody has opened the door yet. The backdraft hasn't brought out the roar of the fire. But underneath, there's sort of this smoldering fire, that one wrong move by someone or something, and all of a sudden, boom, you're about ready to burn a house down. That is what we call anger and the spirit of anger. And today we're going to talk about it. Definitions. Got this out of a Bible dictionary. Anger is both the emotional displeasure and spiritual desire to punish somebody. To punish, to hurt, to exact retribution. Including upon our own selves. You can be angry at yourself and you can punish yourself. This happens whenever we experience an unmet need, an unresolved conflict, or an unmet expectation parents spouses or ex-spouses in-laws bosses employees fourth grade teachers from long ago loud music neighbors foul-mouthed teenagers political parties children who don't live up to our expectations pet that chew up the shoes thieves bullies team captains doctors and anybody named mark you can just have, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can just have, you know. <laughs> think about it. Are you currently experiencing, think about this for a moment. In your life, are you currently experiencing an unmet need? And by the way, not even all of the things we think are needs are real needs. Uh, you've perceived them as needs for you, but God may not even agree it's a need. Unmet needs, an unresolved conflict, past pain. Or an unfulfilled expectation? Are there people in your life, they are not doing what you want them to do. They are not living up to their end of the deal. And it's causing anger. Anger, smoldering fire inside. Well, let's break down anger for a moment. First of all, anger is a Goliath. It is a giant. It is one of those things that the enemy will try to bring to destroy us and keep us down and actually hopefully cause us to self-destruct. The problem with anger is it often makes more anger. Look at Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A soft word, in other words, not an angry word, turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Anger often creates more anger and more anger, and it grows. I'm this angry at you, and ah, now I'm this angry at you, and ah, now I'm this angry at you, and, ah, and it just has this sort of thing, and nobody wins. In fact, eventually somebody usually ends up severely hurt, hopefully not murdered. Second thing, anger makes you weak. Anger weakens you. It weakens you. 
You know, I was a very docile kid growing up. I didn't like fighting. I hated fights. I avoided all the kids that they liked to do that, even play fights. Wasn't much of a wrestler. But because I was small, I was picked on. Kids took things from me. And after a while, they start slapping you around and, and you know, and, and pretty soon you have to defend yourself. And I, and I remember, you know, when I was asked, you know, my family and all that, can you help me defend myself? The one thing they said is, don't lose your cool. Ever heard that statement? Don't lose your cool. Stay calm. Defend yourself. Do what you have to do. Block, kick. And, of course, in my family, you know, throw stones, bite, scratch. I mean, you know, it's, it's everything. All, all, you know. But don't lose your cool because anger will make you weak. And I remember one of the first times I felt really proud of myself when somebody just, <laughs> you know, all I had to do was go, you know, <laughs> I mean, anger makes you weak. Proverbs 16, 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. Proverbs 25. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. You flame up and you fizzle out fast. But while you're fizzled, you're vulnerable to an even greater pain. Don't think for a moment anger makes you stronger. In the long run, it makes you weaker and vulnerable to fear. Third thing, anger makes you lonely. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-four 24 uh, says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. Unless God says, I want you to minister to that person, I try to avoid angry people. Why? I don't want their anger to rub off on me. I don't want their example to influence me. So I have to keep my distance. I'm sorry. I, you got a problem? You got to deal with it? I don't want it. I don't want the example either. <clears throat> so I just look at him and say, peace out. Life is too short, and God is too big to waste it. Stewing and smoldering in anger. And then last but not least, anger seeks to master you. Anger does not just come and go. Anger wants to come and stay. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face so downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God is talking about Cain's anger. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Because if you don't, it will rule over you. Anger can allow something or someone other than you to have control over you and to start dictating your actions. And then after that, almost everything is fear. But I want to create, I want to say something to balance it out. Not all anger is sin, all right? Not all anger is wrong. If you look at Ephesians 4.26 says, in your anger, do not sin. So in other words, it is possible to be angry and not sinful. In Matthew 21.12 says, Jesus in anger overturns the money changers because they had made church into Walmart. And so in anger, he flips over all their money and says, go down the street, but don't do it here. It's not the place for it. So there was, a, there was an anger that he showed. 
Scripture teaches that there is a time and a way and a place to become angry. And that there is a difference between expressing anger and living in a spirit of anger. There's a difference between confrontation and allowing your heart to be a smoldering fire. Being angry in the moment is one thing, but having the smoldering fire of anger controlling lifelong the actions and reactions of your heart are totally another. Well, let's break it down. There's kind of four kinds of anger that the Bible talks about, four kinds of anger that I've I've identified. The first one is just flat-out wrong anger. This is when you feel angry about something that never happened. I mean, tell the truth. How many of you, you have got torqued at somebody and when you went and confronted and investigated, what you thought was true was not even true at all. I mean, how many of you had that? You know, just two hands. I love that, you know, two hands, you know. I mean, we, we, you know, wrong anger. You thought somebody didn't, but they didn't. You imagined somebody said it, but they never said You were told that somebody said it. You never investigated and found out if they really said it, and you just allowed that anger to go through. You believed the voice of your own thoughts, but it wasn't actually real. It was just the enemy or your own thoughts just getting in there and blowing it up far more than it needed to be. That's wrong anger. Number two is there's right anger done wrong. This is when you genuinely have something to be angry about, but you are expressing it in so many wrong ways that you end up throwing more gasoline on the fire than actually healing the conflict. I won't ask who's done that before. (laughs) Not only does this approach damage the people around you, inevitably it damages you. The third one is the one that 70 to 80% of us live in. And it is the one that probably breeds smoldering fire the most. It's right anger, never done. This is where you genuinely have something to be angry about, but you've never said it. You've never expressed it. In fact, you know that you don't know how to express it in a healthy way, so you just don't express it at all. You're angry, but you pretend everything is just fine. You stuff it, never speak about it. You never address the truth of your feelings. And instead of dealing with the anger, we repress it. The problem is that kind of anger poses a huge health risk more than ice cream or french fries ever could it is a silent heart attack waiting to happen and then finally number four there's right anger done right this is where you have something to genuinely be angry about but rather than reacting in the moment you stop and take some time and check in with God and some trusted counselors as to see how to best resolve the situation. Right anger done right. If we turn to the Bible, we have, and this is why we're closing this out, probably the last angle we're going to look at in terms of the story of David and Goliath. The story of David and Goliath is an interesting one because it brings out so much of humanity in that one chapter, 1 Samuel 17. David is bringing the soldiers food to eat. And while he's there and he's handing it out, he is asking about Goliath. He is asking about 
the enemy army. He's asking about King Saul. He's just talking. Remember, he's been by himself with the sheep all alone. He wants the news, right? How many of you go home, you turn on TV, you want the news? What's going on? You know, check your phones. What's going on in the news? David wants to hear the news. What's happening? But when he shows up, it brings something out of his older brother where his older brother just vomits all of this anger all over David. Let's read in 1 Samuel 17, 28. It says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him. He asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness, David? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle, you whelp. That's that's some strong words. If I was David, I'd feel completely humiliated, embarrassed. I'd never trust that guy again. Foolish, foolish, jealous older brother. Just humiliating me in front of everybody. You know what? Give me back that cheese. Ain't for you anymore, right? I mean, what a thing to say. I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. Well, the fact of the matter is, this anger, I think we can identify where it came from. You got to flip back one chapter to 1 Samuel chapter 16. In 1 Samuel 16, Samuel, the prophet, is going to appoint and anoint, well, anoint and later appoint the next king of Israel. This is a big deal. King of Israel. Did you hear that? King of Israel. The ruler, the top dog. He's going to get the, the tax money, everything. This is a big deal. And David and his brothers know that. Well, David's the youngest, the smallest, and he's the most girly boy of the bunch. It says he's ruddy and handsome meaning he had no facial hair. So they said, you know what? Go back with the sheep because there's no way you're going to get picked. And guess what? David does it because he is the youngest, and he does go. He says, I'm not going to be picked. I sh- I, I'm not, I'm, it wouldn't be customary for me to be king. Eliab, he's the tallest, the oldest, the toughest. By Jewish custom, he should be king. So he's standing there, all nice. Let's pick up the scripture here, beginning in verse 6. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here. Translation, this is the guy that God must be sending me to anoint. He's going to be king. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I am have rejected him remember what we talked about a couple of weeks ago we all have a need for acceptance especially god's how would you like to have that experience you're liable you're tall you're ready to go you just washed your sword sword and god says don't consider his height or appearance i have rejected him for the for man for people we look at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. 
Ouch. Ouch. That stung Eliab. And it stung even worse when Samuel goes down and none of the brothers are picked and they call for David, the youngest, the guy who's with the sheep. And when he comes, God says, rise and anoint him. This is the next king of Israel. And David's going, yeah, I'm the next king of Israel, yeah. And what's Eliab doing? Watching and you can see the smoldering fire in his heart. The jealousy, the anger, the comparisons, the competitions, everything that's going on as he looks at him and thinks, you know what? You, me and you, met, we better not find ourselves in a field together or it'll be Cain and Abel all over again. You know what I'm saying? Eliab is livid. When they go off to war, David's not even invited to come. He has to stay back and watch the family farm. So when David shows up, Eliab just vomits all of his anger on him. This is what angry people do. They knock people down. If you meet a person and all they do is tease or they're sarcastic or they're cynical and they always are knocking people down, they are angry. They're a smoldering fire. Be careful. That fire may erupt on you. If you see somebody building people up, encouraging them, Encourage them to follow God's plan for their life. Stick with them because they are probably not angry and they're trustworthy. You see, they knock people down, often making assumptions about their heart. Anytime we make unfounded accusations, we are on shaky ground. We do not know what's in another person's heart. Only God does. In fact, when we criticize others, aren't we usually tipping our hand as to what's in our own hearts? as of what's going on in our own life, you find someone who's being super critical and tearing everybody else down, say, stop them for a second. Say, hey, hey, hey. Dude, what's going on in your life? Okay, 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 yeah, yeah, they're horrible people. Dude, what's going on in you? That'd be my first question. If you don't ask that question, then whatever you do, when your hand gets near that doorknob and you feel heat, Back away, because you open it, and you'll get burned. They'll hurt you. They'll knock you low, even if they love you. Be careful. So, how to process the Goliath of anger. How to overcome this. How to deal with this. First thing, number one, remember, you're not perfect either. That's, the, that's how you got to approach anger. That's how you got to approach conflict. That's how we got to approach everything. I am not perfect. You are not perfect. Nobody here is qualified to be each other's judge. Amen? Amen? I always think to myself, you know, there is one person in the world who has every right to be angry at me. I'm not talking about my wife, although she's got a lot of reasons too. <laughs> I'm talking about God. God has every right to be angry at me. And yet he chose that instead. You see, we don't work out our conflicts for forgiveness. We work out our conflicts from a place of forgiveness already. Right? We have been forgiven. And that's what God is saying. You know what? Can you really be angry at your brother or your sister? Or your your whatever? I have forgiven you. Can you forgive them? 
You know why God says that? Because he knows forgiveness is the right way. Forgiveness is the way that builds. Forgiveness is wisdom. Anger, nothing but destruction and pain and fear. <clears throat> In Psalm 85, the psalmist writes, God, you forgave the sin of your people and covered all of their sins. You have set aside all your wrath and turned from your anger. Second thing, remember, anger begets anger and peace begets peace. If you want to deal with it angrily, and believe me, I know just like when I pass that guy, it feels powerful. I mean, sometimes, especially, you know, when, when I just am feeling weak or scared or afraid, I try to tap into that anger because it temporarily I feel strong. I feel in charge. I feel like I'm in control. I feel like nobody's going to put me down. Nobody's going to. I mean, it just feels great. And that is when I'm at my most dangerous point to destroy my life. Right there. Because anger begets anger. Remember I told you I always got picked on? Well, eventually I lost probably all the fights of my childhood until I got into junior high. When I got into junior high, I just changed. I, I, I looked like I do now, but I was in junior high. And I remember the first time someone tried to want me, I just whomped them so hard. I went home, I told my dad about it. I was so proud of myself. You know what my dad said? He said something really interesting I never forgot. He said, well, you'll be looking over your shoulder now. That makes sense? You'll be looking over your shoulder now. And you know what? He was right. Yeah, I may have won the fight that day. Who's to say he isn't going to bring his five friends and their older brothers next time? And I uh, never forgot. You know why? Anger begets anger. Peace begets peace. Number three. Stop, drop, and kneel. Stop, drop, and kneel. Some of you may say, I don't kneel anymore. Okay, fine. Stop, drop, and sit. Whatever it is, you know. Stop, drop. When we feel that surge of anger, when we feel that smoldering fire, that's the, 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 the sign that God has in front of you is not go ahead, green light. The sign is stop, stop, don't do anything don't say anything don't call anybody stop because you may some, say something you cannot take back do something you'll regret for the rest of your life or begin to assimilate a value into your heart that will destroy your future remember wisdom is building for god's blessed tomorrow anger and unrestrained anger can often destroy the peace that we have today. Stop, drop, and kneel. When I was first a pastor, and I don't know why he did this, but my pastor, he, he printed out something, and he gave it to me. He said, here's for your office. He printed it out of the printer, so it wasn't like it was a, a sentimental thing. It was something he obviously really wanted me to have, and it was Ecclesiastes 7.9, which reads like this. Be not quick in your spirit to become anger, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. I often scratch my head like, now why did you give me that? Do you think that I'm, you know, I, I don't know. But anyway, that's what he got me. And then last but not least, let God be your avenger. One day, God will right every wrong. And he will be far more fairer about it 
than we ever will be. If the person you're with in conflict with doesn't want to deal with it, doesn't want to cop to it, uh, wants to say how it's all your fault, blah, blah, blah. If you're in one of those scenarios, then here's what I'll tell you to do. Just, at, just tell your forgiveness to yourself. I forgive this person. Tell your forgiveness to God. God, I forgive this person even though they don't see the wrong in it. I just forgive them right now and I release the burden of anger to you. You do that, you have now placed them in a far more dangerous spot because now God is going to deal with them. See, you, you may be tough, you may be bad, but trust me, you cannot confront like God can confront. When you let God be your avenger, the problem actually gets solved. Remember Eliab, the angry older brother? For most, most people in the Bible, their story would be, and they got angrier and angrier. They raised a coup against David, and then David finally had to kill him. That's kind of what you feel like the Bible should say. But it doesn't. Listen to this, folks. It doesn't. We don't know when it happened. We don't know how it happened. But at some point, after David defeats Goliath, Eliab must have gone off by himself and had it out with God. God, I'm mad that you didn't pick me. But now I see why you didn't pick me. For 40 years, I was too afraid to go up against that giant. David's here for 40 minutes and he wins. I get it. I see why you picked him. And yeah, all my life I have seen something special about him. You know what, God? I'm sorry. I'm glad you rejected me and chose him. We wouldn't be a nation right now if it was me fighting Goliath. My brother saved us. He saved all of us. And you know what, God? I, wanna, I, want, I want you to forgive me for what I said to him right before the battle. And you know what God probably said to him right after that? I forgive you, now go to David. You need to work it out with him. And again, we don't know when. We just know that it did happen. Eliab went to David and said, David, I've held this smoldering fire of anger toward you for a long time. I'm jealous of you. I compare myself to you. And right now, seeing how everybody loves you and your king it's not the easiest thing for the eldest brother to take. But David, I'm sorry. I don't want to be angry anymore. Can we, can we have forgiveness and peace between us? And David said, yes. Yes, we can. David, by every right, could have drawn his sword, cut his head off, and commanded his servants to bury him and nobody probably would have even looked twice it's not like what Eliab did was in private it was in public but David didn't do that let me say Tom how do we know first chronicles chapter 12 David makes big brother Eliab third in command of the entire Israel army we don't know what happened to him. But something happened where David and Eliab come into a state of trust. 
And for the rest of the Bible, you never once hear again that Eliab challenges David. In fact, when David is on the run from his son Absalom, who is with him by his side? His older brother Eliab. That is what going from anger to forgiveness can do. And Eliab becomes third in command of David's army. But that's not all. Eliab is a musician. And David is a musician. They grew up in a house of, mu of music. And they had a garage band together. You know what the awesome thing is? When David was bringing the ark up from where it was in the tent, and he was bringing it up into Jerusalem. Everybody remember that story? And he strips down to his underwear, and he's dancing because the Ark of the Covenant, I mean, when I say underwear, he strips down to his undergarments, which is what servants wore, not just his underwear. Yeah, and that's a different connotation in this day and age. But he's, he's dancing, he's singing, the king is dancing before. Do you know who is right next to him playing a musical instrument? Eliab. Eliab was in the musical troupe that brought the ark into Jerusalem. And David and his older brother Eliab, that had had so much conflict, so much jealousy, so much rage, they chose forgiveness. And now they are seeing the presence of God come into Jerusalem. But that's not, the, that's not it. In 1 Chronicles 27, Perhaps the greatest honor that David would have as king is he chose the heads of the tribes. Remember there were 12 tribes of Israel? He chose the heads. David was of the tribe of Judah. When he comes to choose the head of the tribe of Judah, he chooses Eliab. He says, Eliab, I may be king over the nation." But in tribal matters, you are my leader. That's, that's what forgiveness does. It's what God does. It's what overcoming the Goliath of anger does. It gives you that happy ending in your life. As opposed to the ending of, and Eliab tried to raise an army against David and David killed him. That would, that's what would happen had he never gotten over his anger. So this morning, I ask you, is there an unmet need, an unresolved conflict, or an unmet expectation that has created a smoldering fire within you, trying to destroy you? Can we give those to God this morning and allow Him to be our peace? As you're thinking about that, with your heads bowed, and your eyes closed. Just begin to connect with God right now. And give it to him afresh. I don't think there's any of us. That are spared from this. I dare say. Those of you who have smoldering fires. Probably all of us in here if we're really honest. There's a smoldering fire somewhere. And so this morning, let's respond by praying together against a common enemy in lieu of a common struggle. Repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, 
Come on, say it like you mean it. Say, Lord Jesus, I give to you this smoldering fire, this anger, and I exchange it for your peace. I make you my Lord and Savior. I receive the Spirit of God into my life. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. It's truly amazing. 